Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. As you'll recall from last week, Dominique and I have been celebrating our one-year anniversary creating these Equosity podcasts. We invited all of our guests from 2018 to join us for this special event. So we have Hannah Brannigan, Nancy Kelly, Michaela Hempen, Cindy Martin, Mary Concannon, and Jane Jackson. Our subject has been duration. How do you extend the duration in a behavior? What are some of the pitfalls and challenges you might encounter? And what are some good teaching strategies? Since the subject is duration, it seems right that the conversation is now in its fourth week. We ended last time with Cindy Martin giving us a great suggestion for keeping track of the duration you're building. We'll begin there with a brief review and then continue on with our next question about duration. Enjoy. My way of keeping honest is to pick a number and count backwards from it mm-hmm. because then I can't go greedy. I, can't go <laughs> I like that. So I will pick a number, I'll say seven, and I'll count backwards. And what I also find really helpful in that is if I count backwards and it falls apart at three, then I know that seven was too much and let's dial it down to four and go down from four and then try going down from five and then go down from three and then go down, see if I can work my way back up to seven. So I'll count backwards and that way I'm committed to the number. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. just another variation on it. And I count in finish because it keeps my brain cells flexible. I think that's great talking, uh, counting backwards, uh, not the finish part. I don't, that's a little beyond me, but. <laughs> I, I also count in finish. Yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah, good. Well, obviously, I'm, my education is incomplete. Yeah, I can do it in Irish. <laughs> now, that would be even better. <laughs> If we're only going to seven, I could probably do French, but. <laughs> I think the animal would walk away from me before I got, uh, because I'd be so focused on trying to remember the numbers that they would completely just be able to get away with anything. But, but counting backwards, I think is brilliant. So yes. And it starts out by saying, what I have to have is a really good solid base unit. And, and that I trust that unit. So I'm not doing desperation clicks because I if I'm doing desperation clicks then that's a good sign that I need to go have a cup of tea listen to podcasts like this and think about the strategies but if you start out by building a really solid solid unit that you can trust that's what you expand well and it's a solid unit the animal can trust Yes. That's the big deal is that that the animal can trust it. Yeah. Because they want to be right. Let's face it. I mean, we we have so stacked the deck for them to want to work with us and want to perform and want to deliver that if we give them a solid unit. So if Hannah's dog knows that dropping the head is not part of the behavior, 
then the dog can really hang in there for it. That's right. So in terms of places where either stumbling blocks that we run into with people that we, when we're teaching or strategies that have really helped people with building duration, are there- So I want to, I want to use an example for that. Okay. Let's say you have a dog and you want him to hold a dumbbell and it's not working out. Change to a horse. <laughs> yeah, Sammy's learning to fetch right now, our donkey. Oh, oh, what fun. They, horses love to fetch. Anyway, it's that was- a hard was... one because, because, you know, it's, it's in his mouth. And so I, that's a hard one. Building duration on a dumbbell. I'm going to turn that one completely over to the dog specialist. I would need more information. What's what's not working? Well, he's dropping it. Okay. He's he's, he's taking it in a in a, for a few seconds and then he drops it. Yeah. So most of the time when there's dropping happening, the the trainer has been clicking. The dog opens his mouth, he closes it on the dumbbell and then opens his mouth again. And it's that second opening that gets clicked. And so what you have is a dog that picks mm. it up. And even I've, I've had students, I've actually done this myself. I've had uh, dogs that we inadvertently trained to throw the dumbbell. Um, mm. Because then when we delayed the click, they would, well, I'll, I'll throw it harder at you because that's clearly what you wanted because you've been clicking me for grabbing it and then opening my mouth again. So that's mm. the first thing that I look for um, yep. with that particular behavior. Failing that or if the, the behavior itself that is happening is so short that it's just not humanly possible to get a click in in that moment, which sometimes happens, especially if you have like a really fast little dog. I will look, is there an, a similar behavior usually do with the head, that is easier to get duration on that I could train as a prerequisite and then merge with this new behavior. So in this particular case, a chin rest behavior, so teaching the dog wow. to rest his, <laughs> rest his chin in your hand is usually a much more accessible behavior for most teams. So it's a, it's a fairly easy behavior to capture. Um, it's, and, and then the nice thing about it is uh, it's a mouth-closed behavior. So um, when the dog is chin resting, he's also got his mouth closed. Well, mm. the muscle movement that I need to hang on to a dumbbell is I need your mouth closed. I just need your mouth closed with this thing in it. So then I can build duration on a chin rest as a, as a simpler substitute and then add a dumbbell to that. And that's usually a nice way to kind of sort of sidestep into the, that, the, the goal behavior. Mm, very interesting. Brilliant. Which is a, yeah, which is a really nice segue into thinking, I mean, it is thinking sideways because we often come at duration too head on. You know, oh, I've got to build duration in this behavior. Well, we're goal oriented. We are goal oriented. So what are some of the sideways strategies that are going to get us to that goal? You know, it's like Kay putting the the mat behind the dog and the dog backs to the mat so it, uh, when you start thinking about well, what actually is the behavior could be from the dog's point of view it's landing on the mat but it gets you a long duration back there are these other strategies that we can begin to think about that take us to being able to have direct long duration but we're not going to get there directly. The, the micro-shaping strategy where you, you are alternating between two different behaviors. We talked about that already. So others that 
come to mind? Well, I have a question for Nancy going back to the cat training because I was wondering about this when she was talking about it. When, when she said they started with the cat in a crate, was the cat getting reinforced at that point or was that strictly a management tool to get the cat accustomed to just hanging out in places? Because I'm thinking of te teaching you know, dogs duration on a mat you can give them something long chewing bone or a bully stick or something that keeps them entertained there so that they just they are less distracted by the environment and they're happy to stay there and they get the idea that this is a good place to just hang out so you make it a pleasant experience as opposed to an interminable waiting game so yes the cats got reinforced of course absolutely and in a very similar way that everybody trains dogs to stay. I mean, it's the same thing, just, you know, you can dance around an average amount of time. You know, I love the alphabet thing. You can do that, you know, whatever. And dogs are awesome and you can give them a chewy, but you could also just come and give them a treat every so often too. It's the same thing, right? One of the things when Hannah was talking about the retrieve, I wanted to throw out as far as maybe like another sideways approach is Hannah, do you find that once the dog is already maybe starting to pick the dumbbell up, but you're working from the other side and you have a deliver on a strong cue that that starts to help them hold it longer because the cue to deliver the dumbbell has them hold it just a microsecond longer until they get that cue, you know what I mean? So it becomes sort of like a chain. So I think that's maybe a sideways Yeah, I like, I like very much like having having a horse or dog back up to a mat, or, or I think it was a goat in Alex's example. Um, yes. It gives an endpoint, which I think lends some context. So if there's context to the behavior, if there's a, a clear purpose, and the part of the purpose of holding the dumbbell is to put it in my hand, and then I've also conveniently trained the chin rest as part of this behavior, I can then present that chin rest hand and the dog rests his chin and then I, I can use that to add movement or add distance by starting the dumbbell a little further away and then presenting the chin rest to the side. But either way, I think part of what really helps that work is that there's a very clear end point to the behavior. So when I'm first teaching new students or if I go to a club to do a seminar on working on the retrieve, I want them to click as the dog is closing his mouth on the dumbbell or as he's picking it up off the ground, if we've got the dumbbell on the ground. And what I want to happen is I want the dog to spit out the dumbbell and come back for his treat. And everybody has a heart attack because <laughs> aren't you training the dog to drop the dumbbell? But what I have learned working with hundreds of teams is that I used to think, well, it's okay if he drops the dumbbell to come get the treat. But what I've actually noticed is that it actually works better with the dogs that deliberately, that clearly close their mouth on the dumbbell and then, oh, I heard my click, and they spit the dumbbell out and come get the food reinforcement, those dogs end up with a cleaner hold than the ones that blur those two steps together. So I think the same thing, like presenting the cue to put the dumbbell in my hand and or click to spit it out, having that clear end as part of the definition of the behavior really helps with, with clarity for what that unit of behavior is in both fins of the leash, both everybody's mind. And then, yeah, I think I think waiting for, if you've defined when, when I give you this cue, that's when you spit it out, and then that's under stimulus control, then you build duration waiting for the cue to spit it out. 
So I've heard in, in those lines too, I've heard people say that when you teach a stay, you should almost immediately teach the cue to break the stay, so it could be free or whatever, to make it really clear. And that you don't start building duration until you've made it really clear for the animal the difference between staying and breaking out of the state. Absolutely. Yeah. I really think having that, again, a clear beginning and end of the behavior, what happens next, like some kind of, some contrast there makes it a lot easier, especially with behaviors that get blurry quickly, like, like holding a dumbbell. Mm -hmm. So that may help Dominique in terms of building duration. What is my exit strategy, as it were. What is it that marks out this behavior? And I'm thinking of that in terms of, for example, lateral work and some of these other behaviors that are physically can be very demanding. So we, it's easy to fall into the, well, I'll get three steps and that's, that's enough. But how do we map out for ourselves and our learners? We're going to be doing this behavior until we get to this mat or whatever the cue for the next unit is, that we have that clearly mapped out. Yeah, so in the, in the example I was give, giving, it means that you stay on the mat until I say free or I do this gesture. That means that you break out of the, of the state. So it's, it's clear. Yep. It's clear so when it's- You just cue the animal to like come target yep. or something. Exactly. But you, you teach it so that, but the point that, that this trainer was making was it'll make it so much easier to build the duration if you first make it really clear the difference between staying and breaking out of the state. You, you have a cue for both, the animal is clear, and then you can start adding either distance or duration, and it'll be much easier. I'm actually experimenting with this right now with uh, some of my horses where I have a very clear cue for stay with my hand like a policeman in the air. And then when it's time to go, I have this other gesture and, and I'm testing because, I mean, cues are, again, you know, another big topic, because of course you may think that your cue is your hand doing something else, but it's really your feet that the horse is looking at. So I'm trying to isolate the cue for breaking out of the stay, but I find it's an interesting, it adds, it seems to me that it adds clarity, which is what we're all after. So there's, there's another element in this as well that I think is important. And that's just the basics of do I know how to read my animal? And I was thinking about this in terms of, if we go back in time again, if we wind the clock back, when Panda was a baby and she was with me, Panda was with me through the whole day. So for those who don't know, Panda is the miniature I, I trained to be a guide horse. And she came to me when she was nine months of age. And in the morning, I would bring her into the house so when I got up I would go out to her stall area in the garage and get her and she would then shadow me throughout the day and that included going to the barn at night and long term what I needed to teach her was to stand on a tie in the barn aisle 
but she was nine months old. And I wouldn't expect a nine-month-old horse to be able to stand on a tie for the two or three or four hours that I was at the barn in the evening. So I would put her on the tie for a very short period of time, and I would be watching her. And then I would take her off the tie and put her into one of the big horse's stalls, and that's where she would spend the rest of the evening. And then gradually over time, I extended the amount of time that she was on her tie because as a guide, that was going to be part of her life was to be able to go somewhere and stand quietly on a tie and basically take a nap. And she, at the end, could stand on her tie in the barn aisle with horses going by and kids going by and all the usual distractions. And she would just fall asleep and take a nap for however long Anne was at the barn when after she had was a working guide. And part of that building of duration was simply observing my animal to know that it was okay to extend the duration out a little bit and out a little bit more and out a little bit more. So we can set all kinds of rules and strategies, but at the end of the day, a lot of it just comes down to, are we observing our animal well? Are we observing, yeah, I've done a lot of sit stays, stand stays, whatever species I'm working on, and there's some fatigue coming in, and I need to be aware of that and shift to something else. Sort of cycles back to some of the earlier points, for example, that Hannah was making. So when you're building duration, how do we incorporate in just the plain observation skills for our learner. Are, are you talking about human learner or animal learner? I'm talking about, you know, the observing for the handler, observing their animal learner as they're building the duration to know that they'll be okay pushing the, the duration just a little bit or they need to hold it where they are. And then that whole learning, how do we help our human handlers to learn to become better observers of their animal partners? I think it comes back to, to really to clean loops, right? So, and, and including those kind of little accessory emotional behaviors in to our criteria for a clean loop. Yes. So it's, it's, am I able, is everything that's happening between when I give the cue and, and the click, the behavior that I'm trying to, to train, my agenda behavior, is what's happening between the click and the, and the next cue, the starting position for the next loop, what I need to happen. And I'm usually, when, when it comes to duration, past those first couple of clicks and treats where we might have the tiniest loop where they don't ever leave the mat. But past that, I'm, I would include not the behavior in the reinforcement side of the loop and then, and then the behavior in the the, I'm yeah I'm, I'm tangled up but anyways um, in the in the between the click and the cue is all as the behavior that I want and then the, whatever my contrast is is and the reinforcement collection is is whatever I need to happen that's going to most facilitate the, the 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 behavior I'm trying to train my click is coming during the behavior and not after it has completed and in some other you know something else is happening there and in that whole time it's my animal is showing me all of the little emotional behaviors that I want associated with that behavior so 
ears up, eyes bright if it's like an active behavior, or maybe chin down, slow breathing, soft eyes if it's a you know, one where I'm shooting for more of a long duration relaxation sort of behavior. And I, I would look for those as part of the clean loop. And I'm looking for I'm looking for a little bit of that duration that's already started. My animal is very clearly settling into the behavior and is already offering a little bit more duration and I'm, I'm almost interrupting it with the click. Then I feel confident that it's time to move on. So I usually have folks look for that the really complete definition of a clean loop. Yes. And, and I would agree with that. And it basically everything comes back to the concept of loopy training. It makes, it just makes everything so much clearer and simpler, you know, in terms of the criteria. People run into problems there because they're teaching a small level of a behavior and they're getting the behavior but not the emotional response that they want, because very often the animal is maybe excited to do the new behavior or not sufficiently relaxed. And where do they go from then? I was smiling as Cindy was telling her story of the 300 peck pigeon, and she mentioned 58 seconds, because I had in newbie a horse that when I tried to teach him head lowering, I got head lowering, but I got a, I have shoved my head down and I'm holding it here with a great deal of tension type of head lowering. The vibration head lowering, the quivering horse head lowering. (laughs) Exactly that, exactly that. So I, I essentially did reversed what you did there, Cindy, in that I would walk him for a second, ask for head lowering for a second and click and reinforce the head lowering and then walk for two seconds two seconds of head lowering click and reinforce and so on i didn't always increase the number of seconds you know when i got to a certain point with the number of seconds walking i increased it in fewer increments than i did the head lowering but his magic number was 57 seconds and when he got 57 seconds he finally went oh I'm going to be down uh, here for a while. Maybe, I, mean, it's chill. I mean, maybe it's because he finally understood the concept of duration. Have you guys found that in your... Uh, like, for me, I know Canel, she understands this concept. She, she... And I think it probably makes a difference. And I remember, Alex, you were talking to me about... I don't remember uh, which lesson it was, but you were working with Robin... And it took a while before he understood that rules do change. And then once he understood that, he was fine with longer duration, with having a different kind of schedule of reinforcement than that what had been in the past. So it's also a concept to, it's something that animals, I don't know, need to understand maybe. I think there are a lot of things that we teach that are truly concepts, verbal cues. I remember the first verbal cue I introduced to Robin was a real puzzle for him, and it took him a while to... Understand that what was coming out of your mouth was was, relevant relevant and information. But once he got that, after that, verbal cues were easy to teach Mm -hmm. him. Patterns. I did such a good job teaching the circle as a pattern that we go around the circle, that this, uh, uh, yeah. the horses stay on the outside of cones, 
and that we're going to walk around the circle of cones and I'm going to be on the inside and you're going to be on the outside. And he got that and he went around from, he'd stand on his mat, we'd head off, he'd go around and come back to his, his mat and that was... He thought great. it was a good rule. The, yeah, and I could make the circle bigger and it didn't matter that the circle was bigger and he had more distance to go before he got to his mat. That was all fine. But when I introduced a pattern change, it was like, oh, no, 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 that's not how we do things. And then as I worked on that, and I think he really did grasp the concept of patterns change. It's okay for patterns to change. And then that was okay. Duration, another one. Yeah. That at first, it, the breaking through this glass ceiling was a struggle. And then he got, oh, right, there's some things that we do longer. Because duration and, is a change of rule. Yeah. So I do think there are these concepts, really, and that once they get them, that all other forms of behaviors in which you are asking for duration become much easier to teach. It's a bit like we're those of us who are just back from the art and science of animal training. So half of us were at the recent conference, the art and science of animal training conference, and Boy, was that exciting. I'm and jealous. One of the presenters, I know. I'm going next year. You should. Every, I mean, it was, it, you really should. The uh, It's February 22nd and 23rd, and the registration opens in September. Okay. And it's, it's exactly the kind of conference, Dominique, that you would love because there's so much, uh, quite apart from the presentations, there's so many opportunities for conversation discussions networking the, it's a great facility that we're in it's just a phenomenal conference and one of the presenters who I always enjoy was Joe Lang who's a, a behavior analyst and Joe was talking about and I'm not going to go into the depths of his presentation because that would be it. another four hours that we'd be here but you know he's talking about the different characteristics of something that for example if you're asking somebody if you're looking at a chair for example you could describe the chair by its color by its shape by the material it's made out of you know what is it what aspect of this object are we interested in and when we're starting to look at duration what aspect of this behavior of standing on a mat or sitting or walking beside you what aspect of that are we interested in and I think this idea of oh you just want me to keep going doing it longer mm. it, it is a concept that our horses learn okay I have another question variable ratio and variable interval meaning you've been clicking every two or, or in a variable you would do one time you you ask for two one time you ask for five and then you come back to three and intervals are just the same except it's second so two seconds three seconds one second seven seconds and Anna alluded to this earlier what are people doing what do you do when you use this, when you're doing various 
uh, numbers either of behaviors or various numbers of seconds that the animal needs to do the duration behavior. Are you using this and how do you use it? I do use variable intervals. So I do use three seconds, five seconds, two seconds, 10 seconds. How do you plan it? How do you plan it? I like the average. What I tell clients is I like the average to be, I consider the average to be what the animal can really do. So you were saying, talking earlier, if a, a horse stands on mm -hmm. the mat for 15 seconds, but you're clicking him every three seconds, then the duration is really only three seconds. So if I'm teaching standing on a mat and I do three seconds and seven seconds and five seconds and 10 seconds, even though once the animal did 10 seconds, I add up all of them and divide by the number of repetitions, and that is what I consider my duration. And I can't okay. do it in my head. So I, for myself, I really try to do the math. But what I tell people is bounce back and forth, but keep pushing the upper limit. So today you might do three and seven and four and eight and two and 10. So your upper limit is 10, but you've gone back and forth a little bit underneath. Tomorrow, have your upper limit be 12 and still go back and forth underneath. And mm -hmm. the next day, have your upper limit be 14 or 15 and still go. And I, I don't know what various people end up with, but that's what came up when somebody asked earlier, the animal should never know when it's gonna come. That's what popped into my head. Now, I don't go from five to 50, I do go up mm -hmm. gradually. Anna, what do, do you use this? How do you see it? How do you think about it? Okay, I am unclear as to whether what we're talking about, how that, how that counts in terms, in terms of variable schedules. I have received conflicting information from experts and so I will, I will defer to whatever book someone <laughs> particular is reading at the time in terms of terminology. I do in practice exactly what you were just saying, bouncing under kind of under the average. Every time we push it to do something that's harder than we've ever asked before, we immediately follow it with something that's much easier. Okay. And part of that is I don't want that, I don't want the effect of every time it's always harder until eventually you give up and die. Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen that one in action. So alternating is really, really helpful. I also, know that we get the effect if you have that ever increasing schedule where it's always harder always longer then you get the delayed start starts to kick in so you get increased latency in the initiation of the behavior and one of the ways we can balance that is by mixing in a bunch of short really short durations where I click just for beginning the behavior click for a really tiny easy version and then and then go back to pushing up so yeah so I I, I really like to 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 try and structure my section sessions so that I'm alternating easy, hard, easy within that behavior. And then also, uh, I forget who was bringing it up, mixing in even easier behaviors. So mixing, if, if, if holding a stationary stay is really hard for my young border collie, then I'm gonna make sure to break that session up with some moving behavior so he gets to let that tension off. If on the other hand, I'm working with my you know middle-aged hound dog, Holding a long duration stationary behavior is very easy for him. <laughs> and moving is more of a challenge. So, you know, finding balance within the session as well as within the within whatever the individual behaviors that I'm working um, so that it, it's, it, 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 it's uh, yeah, for, you know, for balance. 
alternate. So, and do you keep doing this? You know, even once you've gotten the duration, do you keep, so we'll call it, so we stay away from all big words, we're calling the bouncing up and down strategy. Okay, so there's no, so it can be in terms of number of behaviors or in terms of number of seconds, but do you, do you keep that strategy forever? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you can't, behavior's never done, right? It's always dynamic. So as soon as you yeah. stop trying to improve it, it will start to degrade pretty instantly, right? So you, you, if you want it to, to keep it, you want to maintain it at the highest level of performance, then I'm going to absolutely still employ that strategy. I make the distribution of, of when I'm reinforcing gets spread out. But even with my dogs that are in competition that have full length stays in a formal setting, you know, and in, in within the whole performance in, in training, um, especially if I'm doing like a match, like a mock trial kind of situation, I'm frequently reinforcing tiny versions of it, like just set up and heal. Oh, yay, there you go. And you get a toy and mixing mm -hmm. that in with even a little bit longer. So if I need a three minute stay um, in training, I'm reinforcing everything from five seconds to four minutes. Mm hmm. I, I think that's a really good point that she said, if I heard her right, if her goal is a three-minute stay, she's reinforcing everything from one second to four minutes. So if you have a goal of performance or need, you know, uh, husbandry behaviors for an animal to maintain something for a long time, if what you need is as much as you train, it's going to fall apart. You need to train beyond, well beyond what you truly yeah. need in order to have it at least be somewhat reliable when you mm -hmm. need it. Right. So that it's your average. Right. Yeah. So we mentioned yeah. earlier that there's a point where uh, when you start to look for duration, fatigue starts to set in. And I suspect for all of you that fatigue may be starting to set in because <laughs> we've had a very long duration conversation, a very lovely one and a very fun one. I think this is probably a good time to begin to wind down and to thank each and every one of you for participating in our celebration of our one year of, of podcasts. Yay. And clearly we have a lot to talk about. So I have a feeling, Dominique, that we're not going to have any trouble filling another year of podcasts. Somehow I don't think that's going to be a problem for us. And I don't think so. I don't think so. And so what I'd like to do is just end by thanking each and every one of you again for participating with us today and then reminding people of some of the fun things that are coming up and your own celebrations. So Hannah, we started with awesome obedience. So why don't we finish with that reminder of your, you have your new book and, and whether you, you're, you have horses or dogs, you should definitely look it up. So again, where can people find your book? Yeah, so the, the book is Awesome Obedience, and the easiest way to find it is at clickertraining.com in the store right there. You can also link to it from my website, wonderpupstraining.com. And you have your podcast. And I have my podcast, Drinking from the Toilet. Um, awesome which, podcast. <laughs> thank you, which is, is, of course, primarily directed at dog trainers or you know, with dog trainers in mind, but I, I think uh, my, my real goal there is principles of just good training, which yep. are universal. Yep. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Great podcast. Yeah. And so, Nancy, you got your book published. So where can people find the book? At any major bookseller, Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble, everywhere. And it's it's definitely not my book. Right. Not right. Whole lot, but it is the Breland's and Bob Bailey's book. 
absolutely. But I am very excited about it. Yes. But you were instrumental in getting it out. It was your project. It's their book, but your project. And the title is? Animal Behavior. Very straightforward. Very straightforward, very easy to, to remember. And then... How would people find it? I mean, because something tells me that's probably not the only book named that. Or would people look for it under the Breland name? It's it's Keller and Marion Breland are the authors, but you put now it's it was very exciting to watch it roll up to the top of the search on Amazon. And now if you put animal behavior in, it's first or second. Wow. It used to be like thirtieth. Wow. It rolls right up. That's excellent. Excellent. So as it should. And so let's see, Michaela, we've got the Italian science camp with Jesus, and hopefully that one spot will have, to, we may have to have a lottery uh, for, as people will say, no, no, we, we want to come, we want yes. to come. And we should also say that, you know, these boats before the camp have been sold out super quick, us going to Anya Beran again. Yes. Those spots were gone really, really, even actually before it was announced. Yes, and it's like they, it wasn't even 24 hours. It was yeah. so the week before we're going to be at her workshop in Germany. Her and, yes. yes, so that's yes. it's an exciting two weeks. And Cindy, I will I will be seeing you in April. Looking forward to it. If anybody yes. would like to come, we have a really nice clinic group. It's yes, the last weekend in April, and you can find the contact information on Alex's website under the calendar. And this part of Arkansas is quite beautiful. There's an airport yes, nearby. Yes. And we generally have a pretty good group of people. Yes, we do. And you, you take such good care of us. It's a wonderful setting. And it's you take a phenomenal care of us. And we always, always have good learning. It builds community and it promotes learning. Yes, it does. It does. And Jane, you have your gathering in, when is your clicker intensive? It is July 19th, 20th, and 21st. And I didn't say earlier that the topic this year is going to be start buttons, choice, consent, cooperative care type stuff. There's a lot out there right now about these sorts of things. So if people want an opportunity to come and learn about it, talk about it, experience it with the ponies, that's the topic for the year. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Because that's a very hot topic right now. So that's excellent. And then, Mary, we'll, I'll be seeing you in England, which is very exciting. So if anyone's listening to the podcast who's in the UK, this is a great opportunity for us to get together and do some great training and great networking. So one different venues, yep. uh, one in Scotland, not too far from Aberdeen. And the other is in Ashton Equestrian Centre, which is quite closely located to both Stansted and Luton Airport. So quite convenient for anyone who'd like to fly in and join us. Yes. Um, yeah. So all so welcome. Yes, so lots of opportunities. So get on to, it's my website where you can join up and it's clickthathorse.com. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And I think one of the things that today's panel discussion shows is that 
it's a wonderful community of clicker trainers out there. And if you're feeling, oh, I'm here in my barn all alone, you're not alone. There are lots of us out there and we love to share and we love to talk about clicker training. So um, are you going to sing so now, enjoy. Alex? Happy birthday. I am not, but would you? No. <laughs> well, happy birthday, Curiosity. Happy birthday. Yes. Thank you all. And if anyone does want to sing, <laughs> feel free, but it won't be me. Thank you, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you all. The one event we didn't talk about was the webinar with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. It was this past Sunday, March 31st. It was an amazing event. Jesus is so very generous with his time. And as usual, he made our heads spin. It was such a good, good webinar. And it's not too late to sign up. It's too late to attend the live event, but you can still listen to the recording. Go to equosity.com to register and we'll send you the links to the recordings. Over the four weeks that we've been airing the panel discussion, Dominique and I have been engaged in our own experiments with some of the techniques that we've been talking about. So next week, we're going to report on our training, which means we're not quite done talking about duration. And I suspect we'll also be talking about some of the highlights from Jesus' webinar especially as it relates to this topic of duration. So that's for next week. And until then, have fun with your training.